All right, and welcome to another episode of Tea with Dr. D. This is Dr. Ron Dumar with Community Health and Wellness, Chinese medicine doctor, natural health physician, and chiropractic physician. So today I wanted to talk um, a little bit first about something that was really impressioning to me uh, in some of my reading that I was doing Today being more of a Sabbath day, we're going to look at things a little more energetically um, for a little bit at the beginning, and then we'll move into our other topic of discussion today, which is uh, hypertension and treating and working with hypertension. So first of all, I wanted to introduce this topic. It was really It's really interesting because I look around and I meet with a lot of people and as I, as I consult and I speak with them and I hear that a lot of the decisions that are weighing on their mind and on their hearts and the things, the, the way that they're navigating their life and the place that they're in, they're, they're really trying to walk a line that is ideal but aren't always sure exactly how to do that. And frequently these these struggles that they experience are coming as a result of, of, I would say, rules set out by organizations that they happen to affiliate themselves with or belong to. And when you have certain groups, say, maybe a business or, or a job, you have a job, and that has certain rules and expectations set out. And then, well, you belong to a community and there are certain expectations and rules within that community. And then let's say you belong to a church and there are certain rules and expectations or uh, apparent rules that are a part of being uh, a, a member of that organization. So all of those organizations that that person is a part of and affiliated with can can move together in harmony. However, it's frequent that they uh, create overlapping areas or nodes, you could say, where they have these, these conflicts that are built into them uh, because they have things that they are espousing, recommending, pushing, or suggesting that come into conflict. And... The question is, how does one reconcile themselves in, in such a way to ensure that their future is being set up in a way that is most ideal for them and for their family and their community? And you know, think about everybody's a part of some multiple sets of communities and again, we mentioned a few of those, like the job and, you know, a, a housing community, a neighborhood, um, a church group, even a, a scouting group or a soccer club or organization. And each of these, depending on how involved the individual is as well, is going to require a, a higher level of commitment to a specific set of rules. And so... It, it's really interesting for us to begin to navigate how these communities that we are affiliated with 
overlap. And our role ultimately is to deal with overlapping communities, overlapping aspects of our lives. And those overlapping aspects of our lives are what bring to us the conflict that allows us to adapt or change to become something more than we were. And without that, without that construct or the overlapping, without the overlap of those um, affiliations, we, well, it would, it would be rather straightforward for us. And, um, you know, uniform, linear, there wouldn't be any uh, variance right or left. And so I've, I do find it very interesting how people choose in their lives to, to align themselves or to uh, decide that they're going to walk a specific way. One, one example that was brought to my mind in the scriptures is actually in, in Acts. And uh, I was looking and reading a little bit about the background of this chapter as well and Paul and, and, and Paul obviously a, a strong and, and great missionary and spreading the gospel and his message um, out throughout, uh, throughout the Roman Empire ultimately is what he was doing. And so a lot of these, a lot of these places that he would go to had a very Roman influence and the people who were living there had to learn to survive and to have a livelihood in a society that was well, Roman, Roman-centered, um, kind of a Hellenistic view of things. And, you know, it's, it's something that when we, when we look at this historical record we refer to as the Bible, and we attempt to make observations about it and about the people at the time that lived and what they thought and how they felt. It's, it's, it's a conflict in and of itself for us to sit here in our time and to make uh, interpretations in their time without fully trying to jump in a little bit more and understand what communities were overlapping for them in their lives. Well, there was a, a time that Paul, let me grab uh, a few notes here, but Paul, uh, he had gone to uh, Macedonia, and he and Silas, they, <laughs> as they're going around the, the city and the town there, and they're preaching and teaching people, there, there comes this, uh, lady, uh, someone who is uh, like a, a soothsayer, like a like a uh, uh, maybe a prophetess, of, you might describe her, or, or something like that. But she was she began following them around, and the the people of the town as well. Uh, you know, they looked to th- this lady. I guess was fairly prominent, and anyway, she had started saying as well significantly that these people were uh, men of God and uh, the people 
really weren't all that happy about it. And so they, they went to the courts, the local courts there, and suggested that you know, Paul and Silas, his companion, be taken care of, that they uh, essentially be pr- imprisoned or run out of town if possible. And, you know, it, it's interesting because, again, here Paul inserts himself uh, knowing that he's going to go into a, another community and there's going to be some conflict. And if he's going to speak his mind and speak his word, um, there's going to be conflict. Well, one of the things that the gospel of, of Jesus was very prolific at was, was to push, push all of the nuances of society that were perhaps um, benign as we look at it now, but were definitely countercultural. So, for instance, uh, certain roles of of uh, of Gentiles, you could say, even in Jewish culture, not even just Roman culture, but in Jewish culture itself, it was it was not appropriate really to to um, interact with Gentiles. And here, Paul's going to Gentiles. He's teaching Gentiles. He's speaking to them, trying to com- to convert them, and so the Jewish nation or the Jewish people at large, even the Jewish people that were there in Macedonia, had to uh, work out with themselves how it was all of a sudden um, recommended that they interact with these Gentile people. Well, along their way as well, they Paul goes and they teach this group of women. They, there's a, a place outside the town where I guess the women meet and they talk and they have some, some uh, Sabbath day discussions. And so Paul decides to go out there and he meets an individual. He meets a, a lady, an individual by the name of Lydia. And Lydia is a fascinating individual because to me, well, she's female and we hear a lot of how um, females were treated as less than um, maybe subordinates of society. And Lydia is actually a seller. It refers to her as a seller of purple cloth. And purple, to have purple, first of all, to, to access purple was a sign of royalty, to be able to dye things purple. And one of the reasons why is because it, it took a significant amount of, uh, of was it, uh, it wasn't clams, but it, they, they had to harvest a very specific type of uh, shell, of oyster, I think it was actually, oysters. And they had to take like, thousands of them just to get an, a, a small minor ounce of the purple cloth. And as a result, it was very expensive to sell. It was, it was a very, um, it was a, it obviously a very uh, rich, rich market to be in for her. So she, she was able to garner um, a following, but also the group of people that would be purchasing from Lydia would be the far more affluent 
the, the nobler in society, the elite, uh, those that could afford to have that type of cloth and that could pay the significant sum. So she would deal with these people day in and day out on a very regular basis. And her, uh, you know, frequently in, in uh, the, the shops and the places where the cloth and the wool was made, it was a, it was a very significant um, manufacturing process. And there were a lot of people hired, and there were a lot of steps that went into that. And she, uh, from what I can see, it doesn't appear that she was really involved in the manufacturing or the or the factory type process, we might say. But she was more of a the the distribution or the sales, which meant that she was likely also probably quite uh, quite an orator, could probably speak fairly well communicated and presented herself well and uh, that well she was likable and uh, that she could was relatable as well and you know it's really interesting to me again because of because Paul comes teaches to this group and Lydia is one that we find out near the end of this chapter that converts and she actually commits herself to this new faith as a follower of Christ. And to see how she, in her mind, is willing to adapt and mold and allow herself to work with the highest elite in, in the uh, society and to sell them cloth and to interact and engage with them, but then also to meet uh, on the Sabbath with Certainly, I would say Lydia was one that would have been considered in the upper echelon of maybe if there was any sort of middle, maybe it was all a lower class, upper echelon, and then the elite. But she was definitely at the upper echelon because of, well, because of her job and how lucrative it was um, of, of the society that she was in. But she definitely was not part of the society of those that she was selling to. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that she ha- had a really good balance, or appeared to anyway, and had such a good balance that she was willing to listen to Paul and willing to hear his message and able to be a supportive voice and able to be a supportive um, a, a, a source of maybe even financial support, which we know significantly she she did provide a lot of financial support for the early church at that time. And, you know, it could have been really easy for her to say, well, you know, in Jewish faith and belief that I've grown up in here and that I'm meeting with these ladies and learning about, and, you know, we really don't, we shouldn't be interacting much with these people. But she had had a process in her life where she learned that it was important for her to to live and it was important for her to interact and to engage with all people and to not necessarily become as they are, but to understand who they are and that through understanding them, that she could better sell to them and that she could provide better for herself as well. And so I would, I would recommend all of you 
to all of you at this time that if you are feeling in some way that certain communities in your life or certain aspects of your life are overlapping or maybe they're at odds at one another, I, I suggest to you that they don't need to be. I suggest to you that they don't need to be and that there is a way to harmoniously combine and unite them. And I, and I encourage you to look for that uniting thread, to look for and seek that uniting, that, that mode that unites them all. And so essentially, with Lydia, she was able to, within her heart and in her mind, to reconcile and to see the benefit of those things that Paul was doing, even though the entire town seemed to want to get rid of Paul and Silas, and they were thrown into jail not too long uh, after their first meeting with Lydia. Well, while they were in prison, of course, the fascinating thing is that they were singing Paul and Silas, and they were uh, communicating with each other, speaking together and talking about the Word of God. And there was a essentially an earthquake that occurred, and the prison doors opened, and the, the watchman, the guard, was so fear-struck that he yelled and concerned. He was concerned for his life. And Paul said, no, you don't need to fear. We're still here. We've not left. And it's an interesting thing as well to, to consider that here there is an earthquake. The, the prison essentially is gaping open, ready for them to just leave and walk out. It's a perfect escape. Uh, and... Paul shows concern in his life. He probably didn't feel like he ought to have been imprisoned, but he showed concern for that guard, for the prison guard and for his life and had some understanding of what he might be going through and what suffering he might feel in his heart. And Paul was able to unite what was valuable and important throughout humanity and in the communities that he was a part of, he was able to find that common ground. He was able to find uniting factors. And that uniting factor, I, I might say, is people. The number one most important thing to God, to, to our spiritual success in life, is people, relationships. And I believe that that as we learn more ably and aptly to understand one another, to communicate more thoroughly and more aptly with each other, that we will be able to experience higher levels of, of spirituality and of joy and greater understanding and greater peace as humanity. Well, that's my message today uh, for the re little uh, religious, I guess you could say, or the spiritual aspect of health. And uh, I hope you can apply that lesson into your life. And remember that there are aspects of your life that will present uh, conflict for you. Uh, and that all of those areas in your life that may come into conflict because of the different groups or different community affiliations that they happen to represent, 
you can find harmonious, uh, a harmonious thread to weave together that will, uh, will end in a very spiritual and enjoyable result. So I'll say goodbye and stay well and healthy all. <laughs>